for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Hello and welcome to today's News Talk. It is Wednesday, January 17, 2024, and I am delighted to have you here with me. Please keep sending me your messages on whatever forum you can find me. You can also contact me directly at Sonia Poulton at tntradio.live, where you can tell me about your world and what's going on in it. First of all, I want to start off with a bugbear. Now, this is something that personally grieves me. It irritates me beyond words, and that is males in female sports. Anyone seen the website called She Won? It's at shewon.org, and it's a website dedicated to archiving the achievements of female athletes who have been displaced by males in women's sporting events. And when you start to look at the charts that they've compiled, it is truly shocking. Now, this is an issue that I've been following since about 2017, 2018, when I began making a documentary on transgenderism. And it is a, it, it's a fascinating topic. And I've always been somebody who's been about really gender non-conformity. But this is a whole other issue for me when men claim to be women and women claim to be men. And none more so in issues where men are claiming to be women to win at sports when they weren't previously winning, when they were pitched against other men. And it is actually a fact that an awful lot of mediocre sporting males have realized this is the way they can be placed first. And when are sporting bodies going to realize that this is completely wrong? The website, by the way, captures the what should have been the wins for these women from Canada, New Zealand, Australia, America, the UK, and more, from mountain biking to cycling to golf to track and field. And uh, all I can say is shame on these sporting bodies for allowing it to go on so for so long. And of course, there are sports, contact sports, where it's positively lethal for women, like rugby, for example, and, um, you know, wrestling when women come up against men. So this has to stop. And also, Charlotte, producer, sent me this, another personal bugbear of mine along the same theme, and that is media referring to men as women. And a perfect example is was from a South Shields newspaper, South Shields, north of England. And the headline is South Shields woman pleads not guilty, ready for this, to depositing soiled adult nappies at three Tyneside nurseries. Make of that what you want. But the picture is clearly a man, Abby Taylor, as he's now known, formerly known as Martin Tarlin of South Shields, will stand trial next year accused of a series of offences. I don't even want to think about adult diapers. I truly don't. Look, horrendous stuff. Moving on. There has been an inc a steady increase, actually, over a period of years in strokes. And Gemma Cooper and I yesterday were talking about excess deaths. But there have also been an increase in strokes, which many people, including doctors that I've talked to, are associating with the COVID vaccination. Now, doctors say about the increase in strokes, this comes down to a number of things, and that is many people are working now more at desks than they were before. There's also an increase apparently in substance use, such as tobacco and alcohol and uh, various drugs. And then there is also the issue of stress. And Chris, a regular who often sends me information, thank you, Chris, very much appreciated, said his mate had a stroke last week at 51. 
I had asked previously on X whether there anybody had witnessed this, had had um, instances in real life, and. Uh, what Chris was saying was, I could not believe the hospital's nurses, doctors could not work out why they are seeing an increase in young strokes. I agree. And uh, the message from his friend was, was on a stroke unit in hospital yesterday where I saw the usual 70 plus year olds, but also saw many young people, some under 30. Nurse said we are seeing lots of young stroke patients lately and we can't work out why. You can imagine my outrage, says his friend, as I'm well aware it's the COVID jab. Indeed, that is what many people believe. I'm just going to go to the chat before I go to Gemma Cooper. Good morning, good evening, good night to you all. Hello, Drumstick. Hello, Shin. Hello, Matt Nettle. How are you all? Um, wonderful to see you. Hello, Jock um, and uh, Trudy. Should just make three classes, says Shin. Yeah, but the, the point is, Shin, is that's not what these men want. These men want the validation of being in these female sports. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Um, right. We are shortly going to go to Gemma Cooper. Let me just have a look at a few more messages. Yes. Grand rising to you, Zoe. Wonderful to see you. Hello, Raycan. Wonderful to see you all. Right. We will be back shortly with Gemma Cooper. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello. We are now, you've returned to today's News Talk and welcome back. Thank you for being here. And we have the lovely Gemma Cooper with us this morning. Hello, Gemma. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Thank you, Sonia. And it's very, very interesting to hear you talk about the rise in strokes. And they're just it's a mystery, isn't it, to the health professionals? They just can't figure it out. And of course, we at TNT, uh, whether working on the station or listening or watching, we, we figured it out quite a long time ago. Thank you very much. And we can tell you exactly what it is. It is vaccine related. You'd have to be an absolute half a brain cell short to not figure that one out. And of course, today, at Davos, at uh, the World Economic Forum meeting, they're talking about the development of yet another new vaccine uh, to develop it in 100 days to, to fight this mystery disease, disease X, which is going to be on the table for a panel discussion in just a few hours' time. And if anything should put fear of God into our hearts, more than anything else, it is the development of this new vaccine. Uh, right. Work began, if you even want to call it a vaccine, of course, work began at the top secret uh, uh, military base at Porton Down in Wiltshire on Salisbury Plain last August. And UK and all the G7 countries have signed up for the development of this vaccine for a pathogen that's unknown and doesn't actually exist yet. But the most scariest thing of all with this, Sonia, and it's going to be discussed, like I said, in a few hours time at Davos, is the fact that they've all signed up to get these vaccine delivered in 100 days. That's that's the aim to get this rush through wow. for an unknown pathogen. Yeah, exactly. In 100 days. Now, the coronavirus vaccine, inverted commas, took 362 days to develop. Everybody said that was rushed. There was no testing. There was no long term data. Nobody knew what the hell was in it. And look at the end result. Heart problems, excess deaths, strokes in young people, lives ruined. That was a vaccine that was developed in 362 days and rushed through. This one, they want to rush through in 100 days, bearing in mind it's for a pathogen that's unknown, doesn't exist yet, could exist, because the fear-mongering has begun. The scientific research that they're using to back this up is from uh, researchers at the University of Oxford who are involved in the vaccine project. They're saying there are 1.6 million unidentified viruses in the world and nearly 800,000 of those could infect humans. Now that's based on modeling, fear-based propaganda, 
and all to justify the development of this new incredibly rushed through vaccine. Why 100 days? If it's an unknown pathogen and we haven't identified it yet, we've got plenty of time. If you still believe in vaccines, let's make it safe. Why rush it through at a cost of a trillion dollars? Now, we're hearing a lot about um, New World Order trending on uh, social media today. There's all sorts of uh, films going around, some fake, some not. But there have been discussions on the stage there at Davos and people talking about moving away from the old order to a new order. And it looks like we're being ushered in yet again to this scientific doctrine of a vaccine for everything, even an unknown disease that doesn't exist. But you've got the big players today sitting around the table at Davos. You've got Ted Ross, director of The Who. You've got the chair of AstraZeneca. Well, AstraZeneca was taken off the shelves not long after it was issued because Indeed. it was causing so many problems. And you've got uh, WF representatives all at this panel. Already I've seen on, on mainstream media that anyone who questions this theory of disease X is a far-right conspiracy theorist spreading dangerous misinformation. If we don't question this, another jab being rushed through in record time for a disease that doesn't exist yet, I think every normal person should be questioning this, not just free thinkers and critical thinkers like us who saw through this years ago. Nobody Absolutely. wants to repeat of the excess deaths of the last three years, do we? None of us. Absolutely. I'm getting a strange sense of deja vu, which is really alarming because you and I, we we realised, you know, long ago in, with COVID that it wasn't as they were selling it to us. But what alarms me is people are prepared to go through this again, Gemma. I'm already seeing people masking up on the tubes. And I just, I find it so alarming. It's like... Did you not just witness the last four years the same way that we all have? Are you, do you not have access to the same information that we do? Because obviously we live in a an information rich world. And it, I just find it extraordinary. It's the same bad faith players that are being wheeled out again. It really just I find it so shocking that people can be fooled a second time, Gemma. What about you? I mean, do, do you not just go, goodness sake? Uh, well, yes, of course. Um, I think it's the way that the information is presented. But I mean, sure. the, this research, the research facility in Porton Down to develop this rushed through vaccine has been given £65 million of funding to do exactly that. And I, if you're working at these institutions as well, surely you as a scientist would question the veracity right. of why are, we, why are we rushing this through? You know, there must be people on the inside, just like I was on the inside of legacy media, and I could see this is just totally not right. This is not the way my, my organization has ever behaved in the past. There must be some of these scientists and researchers that are being told, right, 100 days for this 100, 100 days vaccine, let's push it through. If you're a scientist, you're going to think, that's not actually really what, how it's done. That's not really how we should be working. I would hope people are questioning it from the inside. All right, if you've got the masked up people still believing the narrative in the in the outside world who aren't particularly educated on these matters, fine. But if you're working at these institutions, you should be questioning it. You should be asking why. Why the rush? A hundred days. There's no safety checks there whatsoever for a, for an unknown pathogen that hasn't been introduced yet. What are they making Absolutely. it for? Absolutely. I mean, they're absolutely complicit. There is no excuse for not questioning. It is. It's absolutely outrageous. And as you point out, you know, it's very interesting that they're developing it at Port and Down because obviously Port and Down is more commonly associated with bioweapons. And uh, so I, I find that interesting. But obviously they've been doing tabletop 
um, exercises around this for, for a while. There was actually one tabletop exercise, which was even before the event 201, which was a sort of tabletop, obviously, exercise that that, that, that led to um, COVID-19. And also the New York Times did a, um, a, a tabletop exercise last year where they set certain parameters and they went through all the same things again. And that is, you know, should schools be closed? Should travel be restricted? And it's like, please, people, you have to be more questioning. But the problem is, is many of these people, their income relies on them being complicit, doesn't it? And that really is the problem. It is. It is. But, you know, the shift is happening. It's happening exponentially. People are moving away from old paradigms where they think, well, I'll just shut up and sell my soul for the mortgage and the, and the kids' education. There comes the point where you realize there's more to living your life authentically than money. And I think that that shift is sweeping through society and, and, and consciousness as we speak. But this is the today, this panel discussion, which will kick off in a few hours time. This one at Davos is the one that has the eyes of the world on it. It has, it has the questioning yes. eyes of people like us at TNT. It has the uh, mainstream eyes on it. Um, and it will be very interesting to see what comes out of this. The big players are all around the table. So they clearly are taking this seriously, whether they're taking it seriously because they believe it's a threat or whether they're taking it seriously because they believe it will be another way of ushering in draconian control measures on our behavior. That's the difference. And it'd be very interesting to watch the language and see what comes out of that or what we're, what we're told or what we're led to believe comes out of that anyway. I know that there's certainly been a plethora, hasn't there, of recently of headlines around Disease X. And as with COVID, the number 10 nudge unit in the UK was absolutely involved in all of that. And at the last count, I think they spent something like £120 million, you know, convincing us that COVID existed and was, was everything that they were saying it was. And I mean, I can literally see it all starting again. And that is the wonderful thing, Gemma, is that people like you and I, we literally are now seeing the control mechanisms in real time, which is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Because obviously with a platform like TNT, we are able to spread that word far more effectively and efficiently and be a true competing power against the dominant messages from legacy media. Absolutely. And long may it continue. Long may it continue, Sonia. Hallelujah to that. Gemma, thank you so much. I will see you again tomorrow. Stay tuned, everybody. We're going to go for a quick ad break. This is today's News Talk. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold or COVID? Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I, just, I just did my eighth test. Oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk. TNT. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? 
government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Today's News Talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome back to today's News Talk. We are delighted to have you with us, and I am delighted to be joined by the extremely funny Alistair Williams. Good morning to you, Alistair. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm delighted as well. Okay, I'm Why delighted to be here. Everyone's delighted. Why do you look so shocked to be described as extremely funny? You are funny. Uh, well, okay. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I didn't know I was looking shocked, but maybe I was. It's quite early for me over here. It's seven o'clock in the morning. Indeed it is. Often described as the world's most cancelled comedian, you are now Chortle UK's Comedian of the Year 2023. Congratulations on that. And what Thank is you. particularly wonderful about you, Alistair, is that you do tell jokes. And by I that, promise. I mean, you don't, you don't walk this line of being horribly PC. And uh, how hard is that in your profession these days? Well, there's almost, it's impossible, to be honest. It's impossible. You have to, you have to go along with the, the narrative or you just, you don't see the light of day, basically. I mean, um, it's actually, it's not uh, Chortle or the people that uh, they write about the comedy industry. And it's, it's not their award. But um, because this one was audience voted, it's my only chance of winning an award. So they're forced to report on the fact that, that I won it. But um, I've done loads of competitions where there's a, there's always a judge, you know, and uh, it never goes it never goes my way. So the only reason I entered this one because it's audience voted and people like audiences they they want the kind of comedy that I do. But the, the right. comedy industry, they don't want the type of comedy that I do. You know, they want. The type of comedy that you get on the television, which ain't, it's not that great anymore, fortunately. No, it's horribly sanitized, isn't it? Just awful. And uh, so I do have a, a number of favorite jokes of yours. One of them is about uh, recruitment. Can you share that uh, your recruitment joke with us? Because I think it is. Unfortunately, hilarious. I'm unable to. I am unable to. I can't do. I can't do my material. Uh, just of not just now. Of, it's it's All impossible. Right, fine. Yeah. Fine. Then, then, uh, I, then I'm going to press it. And it's, it is really funny because you're, you're basically talking about how all these people have gone into recruitment, recruitment because there are no jobs available, which, I and mean, it yeah. is truly, truly <laughs> funny. And, and also <laughs> about you. gender studies and gender studies again is another one, isn't it? That is, would be problematic because so I, is it a fact that comedians now have to be woke PC in order to survive? Because that doesn't account for people like Dave Chappelle 
or Ricky Gervais? Are they just too big to be cancelled? Well, uh, I don't know about, I don't know about too. Yeah, essentially, yeah, they are too big to be cancelled. But, you know, uh, every one of the uh, established comedians um, plays their part. And there's a reason why they're allowed to be famous. Um, Ricky Gervais, I mean, where were these guys when, um, you know, we were forced to be vaccinated, that sort of thing? Where were they on that one? You know, their big right. audiences, where were they on that one? So there's certain things that they won't say. Ricky Gervais is, you know, a huge atheist. He does this great job of convincing people that God isn't real. And I'm sure that's why he's allowed to have, you know, such a big audience, because that's something that they're they're very much keen on. So, um, you know, it's... Um, it's interesting, but I, I will tell you from my personal opinion, there's there's almost no way to get a big audience or a big following unless you're playing their game in some way, especially when you get to the fame level of Ricky Gervais or or Dave Chappelle. You know, they simply simply don't let you have that big of a following if you're doing serious damage to their their narratives, basically. And I mean and woke is kind of it. But it's really not their biggest worry. No. You know, that's more of a side screen to get everyone talking about this ridiculous stuff about our men, women and, you know, nonsense that really doesn't really doesn't matter. I mean, it's 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 important in that you don't want a guy in the change room with your with your little kid or, or whatever. Absolutely. But, um, it's not the main it's not the main thing. You know, it's it's right. a distraction. They can talk about it on the news all the time and you don't really get down to the to the big issues of what they're doing. See, now that's really interesting because I, I actually don't recall Ricky Gervais saying anything particularly comedic throughout COVID. So you're saying that that would be a taboo subject for a major yeah. comedian. I'm telling you, if Ricky Gervais came out when they were pushing the vaccines, it was like, hey, this isn't properly tested. I don't think it's safe. Wait a second. You think he would still have a career now? There's no chance. They would, they would, he'd be gone. They would, they would bury him. They wouldn't allow someone with that size of an audience to say, hey, wait a second. That there's something there's something going wrong here. That's why you didn't see anyone like nobody with a with a big um, audience, one of the a rock star, anyone stand up. And the ones that you did, like you never hear from again. Matthew Letizia is a great example. You know, he's on Sky Sports. He's Mr. Sky Sports. Then he's like, hang on, all these footballers keep collapsing on the pitch. It's like, whoa, get rid of this guy. You know, he's not even allowed to hang out at Southampton Football Club anymore. You know, it's it's ridiculous. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's sort of really contrary to the whole point about comedy, right? Because the, the whole point about comedy that I understood and that I've always loved is the sort of fantastic observations, often wry, about normal everyday situations that impact us all. And it's, it's so what are you allowed to talk about in order to be able to rise into the big league? Well, the, you've hit on the reason why comedy is so policed by these people is because it is, as you say, it's really important. Um, if someone's laughing at, at a joke that you're telling, they're agreeing with you. So it's a great way to change someone's mind because it's involuntary. If I start joking about something that's the opposite of what you think and you're laughing along because you can't help right. it because it's funny, you're really agreeing with me. So what they've done is they've completely co-opted the whole industry to the point where if you're watching comedy on TV, and I, and I know this from my one and only time they let me on the television, 90% of the comedians at the TV recording are dying out there. Like no one's laughing. They put all right. the laughing in on an editing track afterwards. And they're yeah, out horrible. there. Yeah, but they're out there saying all these narrative talking points, you know, like at the time when I was coming up, it was feminism. So it was like, there's something wrong with being a man. So there's, they got all these acts out there saying, oh, the men are terrible, blah, blah. The audience aren't laughing at all. And then when you watch it on television, there's all these shots of the audience like, ah, like killing themselves. So it's a way of convincing people 
everyone thinks like this. Everyone agrees with these comedians. But in actual fact, like no one does. And you're left with the audience sitting there going, why isn't comedy funny anymore? Because it's it's a theater show now. It's not real. You know, the only place it's real is actually at the comedy clubs. And most of the comedy clubs don't let me anywhere near the microphone anymore. Uh, ever since that Brexit Burger King joke, I lost like 80% of the comedy clubs for the most viral piece of comedy a comedian's produced in this country for about 10 years, you know? They're, most of the comedy clubs are, are, are fake. Not 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 all of them, but most of the big ones that don't let me back there anymore. They know how good I am. I'm British comedian of the year. Do you think they let me back there? They don't. They right. don't. They don't let me near right. the microphone in case I record myself again and go viral by myself, which you're not even allowed to do anymore. Sorry, long right. answer. Let, let me not at all. Brilliant answer. Let me just go to the comments because they're all busy in here. Dan said I got to watch Alistair open up for Carl Benjamin a few years ago. He was brilliant. Uh, political drumstick says political correctness should be totally disregarded in humor. If the audience can't take it, don't buy a ticket. And I think what you're really saying, Alistair, is that good comedy, traditional comedy is dangerous to the status quo. And that is the problem, right? Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's what it should be. And that's why, you know, it's it's policed harder than anything else. And most people say, well, the comedy should be the last thing that's policed. And that's the reason why it is. Right. Got you. Let's just have some more of this. Um, what's this? Uh, I do too. A mumble under my breath. Get that off you, Pratt. I have no idea what they're talking about here, but it, it sounded funny. Um, ooh, something about Chinese tourists wearing something before 2019. We are shortly going to go to the news headlines. I will be right back with Alistair Williams, and I want to delve deeper into what brought him into comedy in the first place. Be right back on today's News Talk. News Talk Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. After pulling out of the race for the Republican presidential nomination, Vivek Ramaswamy has appeared on stage with Donald Trump, where he endorsed the ex Commander in Chief as president. India has raised grave concerns with Iran over increased attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea. And birth rates have fallen to their lowest level in France since the end of the Second World War. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Welcome back to today's news talk. I am delighted to be joined by very funny comedian Alistair Williams. And I particularly like Alistair because he doesn't give a hoot, which is so wonderful and so refreshing because we're all tired of people watching what they say. I know that I certainly am. Alistair, what is the biggest taboo currently in comedy that you absolutely cannot joke about? Ooh, what can't you joke about? Probably uh, vaccine harms, I would say. Excess deaths, something like that. You won't be seen again. <laughs> If you start, right. if you start mentioning that, I think, you know, anything like that, anything Got to you. do with trans as well, anything that starts with trans, you're you're really skating on thin ice there, you know. Right, and and that was the thing that they went after uh, Dave Chappelle and uh, Ricky Gervais about, right? But as you said, oh yeah. There, there is a degree now where you can actually joke about it. It's like that that particular ice has been broken, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can. If you're Dave Chappelle or Ricky Gervais. Yeah, but Ricky Gervais is vocal about, like, they say that they can cancel you, but you can say whatever you want. It's like, yeah, you can, Ricky. You can. It's difficult to cancel you, but someone like me, like somebody coming up, like they can cancel you very easily, you know? Right. And they do. What made you go into comedy, Alistair? 
I mean, I, I personally think I'm very funny, but I, I yeah, wouldn't have same. the guts to I stand mean. on a stage and uh, and amuse people in that way. How long have you been doing this? 12 years, 15 years, something like that. I don't know. Wow. It's, it's what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? You know, you find what you're supposed to be doing, what you well, were calling as for. opposed to a career. Well, I just always wanted to do this when I was younger. And I was, and now that I know that, you know, this is it's what God made me to do, to tell people the truth, basically. And it's given me this talent to make people laugh at the same time. And now, now I know that I, you know, I'm where he wants me. I'm in, I'm in the lane that I'm supposed to be in and I've never enjoyed my life more, you know? I mean, that's very freeing, isn't it? When you're doing what you want to do and being paid for it. Did you used to stand in front of the mirror with a hairbrush, like a three degree or something? No, I don't think that's a comedian thing with a hairbrush. Oh, is it not? Is I that that's a 10 year old girl you're thinking of? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is a comedian thing? What is a comedian um, thing when you're a child? Oh, I don't know. Just I don't know if there's a comedian thing when, when you're a child. You know, I don't know. Don't know if there is. I'm not sure. I wanted to be a comedian when I was a child, but when I first went to comedy clubs, I remember first went to the comedy store. I remember thinking, "Oh, that's that's such a cool thing to do. That's what I want to do." You know. What does, what was your family's reaction to it? Because obviously, some of your routine involves your family and them paying for you to to take history, which again is a very another very very funny joke. But what is their genuine reaction to it? Because I mean, I suppose when you say actually I want to be a comedian, that in itself sounds funny, doesn't it? I mean, I guess so. Think, did they it's take it seriously? So. I mean, it's yeah, they do now, especially since I won this award. But before, like when we're here, but, but when you're being cancelled and the establishment is stifling your career everywhere, it's quite hard to con it's quite hard to have a, a dialogue with regular people about that because no one thinks that that's really happening to you. They just think that you're you're not good enough to to be doing what you're doing. You know. No one right. believes that they cancel your YouTube channel and all the clubs didn't listen to you because you had this really popular joke. No one really believes that. So everyone sort of treats you as though, actually, you, you can't be that good. Otherwise, you would be on the BBC. You, you know what I mean? So, oh. it's, and yeah, so you have to you have to deal with that, you know, and they make it very difficult for you to earn a living if you want to do it properly. It's, there's so much resistance to doing this job properly that almost nobody wants to to try and do this comedy job properly and most of the people they don't even want to be a comedian you know they want to be presenting the news or love island or something you know so they're right. just out there you know uh holding the microphone trying to make people laugh if they can but if they can't just put them on the television presenting something and they're happy most of the people you know they're not really in this to be a comedian they want to be famous and it's one of the ways that you can do it um you know so there's that You've been absolutely savage. You've been called everything from Hitler to Genghis Khan, haven't you? And I think predominantly by the left. I traditionally come from the left, but has, has the left become completely humorless these days? I'm not sure I believe in this whole left-right paradigm thing Interesting. anymore, either, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's, it's evil and it's good. You know, the whole left-right thing. I think it's like a Punch and Judy show that's played out for us and there's right. someone controlling both of the puppets, to be honest with you. Like, I know it's like, you know, the people on the right, they really on the right, they really believe in anything. Like, you know what I mean? Is there any, who can you vote for? Like, for example, during the whole COVID thing, who could you vote for that was against lockdowns and against forced vaccinations that was on the right or the left? There, you know, there was no one. They were all on the same page when it matters. So, you know, I'm not a big believer in the whole political answer to the, to the problems we're having. 
I agree with you, actually. I do think it is very much a Punch and Judy show. But again, this is the role of comedians to point these things out to us, to poke fun <laughs> at them, you know. And uh, I'm just reading some of the tributes that have been said about you and paid to you. You were described tributes. as having rough. That's well, like I'm dead, uh, into, but okay. No, no, you're you're absolutely alive. I can confirm he is fully alive. Um, okay. for example, you know, some of the wonderful things that have been said about you. Chortle described you as rough diamond charm. And uh, you've you've got some good credits going on here. Piccadilly Comedian of the Year. Uh, you were finalist in the Leicester Square Comedian of the Year. That that's quite a, a tough one because Leicester Square, obviously the heart of London, that will have attracted many people. So you know, did very very well there. So I think I think that there is a place absolutely for those who are prepared to, you know, sort of say no, I'm not going to follow the route. But it, it is a slog, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it is, but you know, it's the only way to be, in my opinion. You know, right. there's no point doing this thing. <laughs> any other way mogden says never a truer word spoken in jest i mean that's the other thing of course is that is what people can use humor for you know as you said as you'd already alluded to is that humor can be used to express some of the most poignant important issues in our world and that i think is just i mean and i i i love humor i love humor from all over the world and uh, because if it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh, ir irrespective of, of what culture it's coming from, right? Exactly. That's why they have to keep it under lock and key in case people, because people can figure out Dangerous. by themselves what they think is funny. So if yeah. you only serve them one particular thing, they don't have a chance. You know, you have to really, really police it. And also, if you stick someone like me on a show with all the other TV comedians, it'll make them look even worse. You know, the only way they get away with the comedy they put right. on television is they're all awful so there's no you know what i'm saying but if you put one yes. funny person in the middle it'll be yes. like whoa what happened to the other guys you know that's uh, that's absolutely right that is an excellent point actually your very presence illuminates how very dire and sanitized they are so that again makes you dangerous yeah i'm i'm i will tell you right now i'm too funny to be on the bbc i'm far yeah, too absolutely. funny to be on the bbc if I want to get on the BBC, I'm going to have to get a lot. I'm going to have to regress big time, you know, um, and take another other boxes that I can't. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm too too funny to be on the BBC. That's a, that's a fact. Uh, that is a fact. Without laughter, the world is dark. Good on you, Alistair, says Trudy. Craig loves a bit of raw comedy. Me too. Can't beat it. You cannot beat a good belly laugh. And uh, as uh, I think it's uh, Hope, Love and Peace says in the chat, the we need laughter now more than ever, really. Yep, I would agree with that. I Absolutely with that. vital. Your job is vital. I mean, this is oh, the thing. Your job is, your job is life-saving. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, abuse is so unimaginative these days, isn't it? Says Holly. I mean, that's the other thing, of course, is it, it is all very subjective, isn't it? What 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 would constitute as abusive? And that, again, must be really frustrating for you because, you know, one man, one man's abuse is another man's humor. So, for example, you finding humor. And the thing is, humor can be very dark as well, because presumably if you found humor in excess deaths, there's a darkness attached to that, as well as highlighting how horrendous it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about me is that I don't actually offend anyone. People, you say you're, you've been cancelled and they won't let you talk, whatever they assume that you're offending people or picking on people. In actual fact, you know, the opposite is true. 
if you right. are the offensive guys, they let run wild, you know, like Frankie Boyle, right. or if you're out there taking the mick out of disabled people or whatever, you'll be on the channel four, whatever, you know, you're really, you're pushing that agenda of division and hatred. But if you're bringing people together and you're, you're, you're um, telling people about Jesus, especially now, you, now you, now you won't see the light of day. And that's, that's excellent point. Excellent point. Listen, brilliant to have you with us this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Alistair Williams. He is absolutely hilarious. We're going to a short break and we'll be straight back on today's News Talk. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Too many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked in the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Last week, Brandon met a girl on a dating app. One day after work, he finally found the courage to ask her out. No answer. He started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to today's News Talk. It is wonderful to have you with us. And I am delighted to be joined by Dave Eden. Now, I know Dave personally. He's a former cop. He is a renowned whistleblower. And little known fact, he is the man I made two Madeleine McCann documentaries with. So, uh, and thank you very much for that, Dave. They are still being viewed heavily online, which is absolutely wonderful. Dave is also the author of Nut and Gut. Tell us about Nut and Gut, Dave. Uh, right, okay. Nut and Gut is uh, a book that I wrote in 2021. Um, and very, you know, to sort of praise it very quickly, from the first week that I joined the police, I realised things were not as they should be. And I started to gather evidence. Uh, and every week or every other week uh, for 30 years near on, I took it to a firm of solicitors and, and left it and registered it there. So I have a, a massive archive of all things wrong. And throughout my service, you would challenge so much of it and uh, basically be 
just be stopped in your tracks. Uh, I mean, the, the culture in the police is so toxic, it, it's really not possible to describe it. So I wrote the book uh, and I covered the subjects of racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, and, you know, sort of quite distressingly, the amount of corruption that's involved. Um, that got published and then sort of, you know, caused a little bit of a storm. Uh, it led to interviews by, you know, mainstream media, Newsnight, things like that. Uh, and then the police, with their, their usual style, picked the lowest, you know, the lowest of the lowest hanging fruit that they could uh, and tried to make an example of them, uh, which they did by charging six ex-police officers with numerous offences um, leading to their conviction in December of last year. But it kind this, of missed the point. It's very interesting you describe it, that they went for the low-hanging fruit. Because So let's give people some background here. I've seen your files. You showed me those files. A lot of this stuff that you had catalogued over the years was images that was put on police station walls, which was horrendously racist, horrendously uh, misogynistic, homophobic, you name it. While, of course, the people inside these walls were supposed to be hold upholding law and standards and principles. And I remember the first time you showed me your file, and it was absolutely horrendous to see. But since then, you've gone on to be an, a tremendous whistleblower. And uh, as you say about these, so these were six men, weren't they? And they were exchanging messages in WhatsApp. What I mean, obviously without going into any graphic details or anything, but what sort of messages were they exchanging? Well, I mean, I mean, there was an awful lot of uh, racial content there, an awful lot of misogyny. We're talking more than 3,000 images and videos, uh, some of which that were so appalling uh, that when they were looked at by Newsnight and other organisations and, uh, you know, the people that produced a documentary on Wayne Cousins, the killer in plain sight, um, they, you know, they looked at it and said, we just can't broadcast this. This is so bad, we, can't, we right. cannot broadcast it. But the whole point was, this is not about exposing individuals. You know, that that the policing, what they did, it's, it's another way that they they instigate sort of organisational protectionism. Um, but it wasn't about exposing individuals. It's about exposing a culture, a culture that I encountered in 1982 and some 42 years later is actually worse than it was. Wow. <laughs> All of these communications, of course, you know, they're in stealth mode. They can't be seen anymore. But the attitudes were identical. I mean, you know, there's, there's one specific image um, addressing the um, the actions of cousins and the, the you know, the appalling murder of Sarah Everard, something that was completely preventable if they got to grips with what was happening. Uh, and that image, um, briefly, was the taken from the highway code, the police officer giving directions. But then, it, I mean, I won't talk about it because it really is so disgusting. Yeah, it is graphic. Yeah, and then, you know, then, then so that, you know, the, the narrative was changed on that to represent from the, the first encounter right through to the death. And it was all linked to the, you know, road um, police actions in terms of directing traffic. And, you know, and that was supposed to be funny. There was other stuff there that f fundamentally, which felt almost as microscopically as short as you could be to celebrating the murder of Floyd. So, I mean, it, it is extraordinary, sort of isn't it? 
it, it is horrible. And wasn't that actually, when they were exchanging that, wasn't that on the day that Wayne Cousins was apprehended or something? Yes, yeah, it's on the day, it was the day after he was apprehended. Shocking, absolutely shocking. Public knowledge. But there's other things, obviously, that you have spotted, that you've observed, that have been so vital for us. And one of the things was you, for example, you feature in my documentary, Paedophiles in Parliament. And in there, you detail how a senior cop killed himself and the police covered it up to stop his paedophile activities with MPs coming to light because the News of the World, which was then a Murdoch newspaper, was about to expose him, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. I mean, that, that's extraordinary stuff. Well, you know, the thing is people do not realise the level of corruption in the police. Uh, and we're not talking about officers on the street here. We're not talking about somebody taking a £50 cash bung to not report somebody for being on their phone. We're talking top-of-the-ladder institutional corruption. Uh, and in the book, the book, my book actually starts with talking about a specific case that... that absolutely highlights this level of corruption. Now, interestingly, uh, the commissioner, first of all, didn't want to engage with me. And then I went on to, to Newsnight. He was there, but uh, my interview was pre-recorded. I wasn't allowed to be in the studio with him. So they they knew what I was going to be talking about. Uh, You're talking so about Sir Mark Rowley, right? Yeah. And then he said, look, he, gave, he said, I want to meet you. Come to Scotland Yard or New Scotland Yard and we'll meet. Uh, that uh, meeting was rescheduled three or four times and then ultimately cancelled. So he didn't want to know. But by targeting the low-hanging fruit, what they're doing is they're giving this impression that they've done something. In fact, they've done absolutely nothing because mm. the really, really serious issues have just been ignored yet again. Uh, and this is this course of conduct, this recidivist behaviour from them. Uh, and um, literally... Now, I am getting serving police officers, serving fire officers, uh, and people from other organisations contacting me on a, on a weekly basis that want to talk to me. They want to tell me about the corruption. They want to tell me what's going on. Uh, because there are a lot of good people out there that are frustrated by what's going on. Right. Not every copper is bent, right? Oh, absolutely not. No, I mean, but, but unfortunately... The system is the 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 canteen culture. The it's something that you can't escape, and it's difficult right. to describe to somebody. I mean, I think I say in the book that you know my approach to it was first I was new, I was vulnerable. It was although I didn't participate in it, uh, my guilt is such that you know I was there, but I was there at a time that I was recording what was going on, I was collating an evidence in it, but at the time it was silent acquiescence. Because there wasn't anything else. It didn't matter what you did, how much you protested. Whatever you did, you were going to be shut down. And over my career, I was repeatedly shut down and shut down and shut down. Yes. And that is the way that the system works. So even the good people that really want to make positive change uh, are finding it hard to do so because the culture, and the culture is so toxic that they they literally don't have the opportunity to do it. It's horrible, really. But talking about that toxic culture, another issue that you exposed was armed police accused of sexually harassing air hostesses at a UK airport. Yeah. Um, 
excuse me. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, something that I did and uh, that made the nationals. And uh, yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is we're talking about firearms officers here who are going to an area of the of the airport. I'm, I'm not going to say what the nickname was because the nickname right. of that area is extremely offensive. Oh, goodness. Um, and then basically uh, certain officers and specific officer allegedly um, trying to talk to, to air hostesses or air crew. Um, but it got to the point where they were basically finding out where they were, using police equipment to send them messages, uh, harassing them socially and sexually, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's led to a number of people being placed on restricted duties, being taken out of that department. Um, whilst this is investigated, but what we're going to see here, and I know for well what's going to happen, there's going to be an investigation that's going to take, you know, one, two, three years or whatever, they, how they spin it. Uh, and very little is going to happen at the end of this. Um, I mean, that that's shocking, isn't it? That's very sad that we've reached that stage where we're, we're, we, we almost accept that our police force, and it's not just any police force, this is the largest police force in England and Wales. Um, I, although you're, you're talking about Luton Airport, that's obviously not the Met, for example. But the Met is, you're saying, is so institutionally corrupt and uh, in peril that can it, can it be saved? It's going to take an awful lot of work to save it, and it's going to take the right person to save it. I mean, I, I in, in terms of uh, Rowley, you know, he's a man that's come up through the system. He, he started as a PC. This is a man that cannot deny that he was involved in the canteen culture. Now, he's gone through the ranks. Now, every opportunity through those ranks, be it sergeant, be it an inspector, be it chief inspector, superintendent, so on and so forth, he's had an opportunity on a divisional level to say, we're going to stamp this out. This is what we're going to do. We're going to address these right. issues. People are going to be disciplined. People are going to lose the jobs. But no, he's continued being part of the culture. And now he's in charge of the Met. And now he's saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. Uh, and at the end of the day, is he the right person to do that? I would suggest not. You know, this needs somebody that's not associated with policing, somebody that's not in any way, shape or form, either been part of the culture or acquiesced to the culture, because they're the wrong people, because they've still got this protectionist attitude. You know, right. we have to protect the organisation and they will do it and they will lie somehow. You know, we've put um, freedom of information requests into the police, absolutely knowing 100% that they, they have the information that we're asking for. And then they've come back and said, no, we don't, you know, we don't record this information. We haven't got this information. So, so they, they basically lie there. That's shocking. Um, That's absolutely shocking. I mean, I'm interested to know about outside forces because obviously when I was making paedophiles in Parliament, it it absolutely came across my radar that Freemasonry had an influence on policing. How much do these outside forces such as Common Purpose and Freemasonry have in our policing? That's absolutely so difficult to engage with because anything that's done like that, again, is done pretty much in, in stealth. Uh, you know, you're not going to get anybody come forward and say, right, you're in the Masons, Dave, don't worry about this. We know that you've done X, but we're going to square it up. Um, you know, these are the, the select few 
that are in the force. And of course, and if there is any advantage to them, they're not going to talk about that advantage uh, right. because that's something that can be challenged. Right. So you know, it, actually being able to accurately judge that and assess that is almost impossible. But without a doubt, obviously, external forces are there. Uh, and that's not just in the police, because, you know, there's lots of areas on a Venn diagram where, where policing overlaps with various other political agendas. Right. Um, you know, I've, somebody, because now, I'm for, for better or worse, I'm getting quite well known and getting known for the fact that people can approach me, I will look at their stuff, and if I can challenge it, expose it without endangering them, or compromising them, that I will do it. But, you know, I'm getting things now where we're talking about serious election fraud in the Midlands. Wow. Uh, and this is linked to local councillors. It's it's lo- it's linked to a, a Labour MP. Um, now, the, the leadership of the Labour Party have been made, made aware of it and have basically swept it under the counter, under the carpet. So, but that but that also links in with policing. Right. Um, Right, you know, interesting. Case, but you know, all of this is there, and people aren't taking action. Right, um, it, it's like protectionism, isn't it? It's like protectionism. Oh, really? Skippy, Skippy in the comments says, "Police are policy enforcers." Same or similar word in most languages. Their role is to enforce government policy, not to protect the public, which completely plays into what you're just saying there about the protection of MPs, which is what I discovered when I made paedophiles in Parliament. Dave, before you leave us today, you, you've taken, and I want to bring you back on to discuss this because it's so important what you're doing. But you've taken all your knowledge and you've actually been conducting very serious investigations into trafficking, including migrant trafficking. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, very quickly, I thought I knew about people trafficking, and then five years I I set off on this uh, this journey, as I believe we say now. Um, and we did, um, deployed an awful lot of people, in fact, 18 surveillance officers, uh, ranging all the way from Portugal all the way into the Nordic countries, Norway, Sweden, and we started to learn the truth about people trafficking, especially the sex trafficking industry. Uh, the amounts of intelligence we got, the amounts of surveillance we've got, the fact that we reported it to various law enforcement agencies, some of the things that we found, which was so horrendous. Um, so we're actually in, still in production in that. It's, uh, there was a two-year gap, obviously, because of COVID, which sort of... Uh, and we hope to have this finished this year. But if you if you take what you know or think you know about trafficking, you really, as I found out, I knew the tip of the iceberg. Right. Uh, you, you, you showed me an overview of what you'd recorded, and I was just absolutely gobsmacked. I was like, I thought I understood this topic. But you're absolutely right. What what you have to say about it is, is so in-depth. But that's because you've been there, haven't you? You've travelled. Look, Dave, I am going to bring you back to discuss this. Absolutely, yep. because it's absolutely vital. But just before you leave us, just, just, just tell people just roughly about what we don't understand about trafficking. What we don't understand about trafficking is the its complexity. We don't understand the way that, that it actually truly involves. You can't say that look, you know, this is a single subject of sex trafficking because that 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 links into into drugs. It links into firearms. It links yeah. into massive yeah. amounts. Absolutely, of money it's much more of a complex topic, isn't it? Listen, uh, Dave, I truly. 
Yes, yeah, sorry. I truly appreciate everything that you bring to the table. I just want to thank everybody for joining us today on today's News Talk. This is Dave Eden. He's a magnificent man. He's a whistleblower of the highest order. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. Please feel free to contact me at Sonia Poulton at TNTradio.live. I will be bringing this magnificent man back because he has so much to say. Thank you so much. Take good care of yourself. See you tomorrow.